So this morning we are studying from Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you could turn there with, a, with us to, to follow along. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. And we find ourselves in a place of, in Luke where, where I don't know about you, but I find that as I'm reading the, the gospel of Luke, uh, this is where I can really easily start to get lost um, because uh, we've, we've, we've talked about this, uh, I guess, a few months ago at this point, that starting in chapter 9 and all the way until chapter 19, the text just meanders. Nothing really happens plot-wise other than Jesus continues on his way to Jerusalem. We get a lot of teaching and a lot of parables and a lot of question and answer. And here in chapter 12, especially, uh, we're in the middle of a, a pretty long block of teaching. And it's been interspersed uh, a bit. Well, it will be interspersed here at verse 13, where someone in the crowd speaks up and asks, uh, well, and, and says something to Jesus. But as we work our way through this teaching, we want to remember, keep our bearings, remember where we are, that in these, these 10 chapters, we're seeing Jesus explain the nature of his kingdom. But then especially those 10 chapters subdivide into four sections, and we're in the second one of those sections that started in chapter 10, verse 38. And uh, this started with Martha's infamous question to Jesus when, when she was entertaining him at, at her house, when she said, Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work? And of course, Jesus answered her directly there. But in all of these uh, episodes, all of these parts since then, uh, all, all the way up until midway through chapter 13, Luke is developing his answer to that question. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care about all that he's asked us to do in helping to proclaim his kingdom? And so we saw at the end of chapter 9 and early in chapter 10 that he sent the disciples out to proclaim the kingdom. Now he's talking about the growth of the kingdom and how much Jesus cares to grow that kingdom. He's not just sending us out to do our own thing and to be afraid. Remember, he said to Martha, you are anxious about many things. And so today, in today's text, we are going to see one of those many things that we tend to be anxious about, that Luke knows we tend to be anxious about. And it's money, it's finances, it's stability, the future. And so Jesus will teach us how much he cares and how when we line up our cares with his cares, then uh, there's really no reason to be anxious about these things. What we see is that the growth of his kingdom is dependent on the growth of his people. And so would you like to deal with your anxiety? Would you like to ad address this and find your security in the Lord Jesus and in the growth of his kingdom? That's what we're talking about today as we talk about how to think about finances, this one area that tends to give us quite a bit of anxiety. <clears throat> Let me read from the first part of the passage, verses 13 through 21. This is where Jesus unpacks uh, how to think about false treasure. In the second part, we'll see how to think about true treasure. So here, how to think about false treasure, Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here, Jesus is starting to teach us about treasure, and he begins by warning us of false treasure. And the first thing he tells us about, that Luke tells us about false treasure, is that false treasure makes demands. You look at verses 13 and 14, in verse 13 especially, someone in the crowd speaks up, and you see, he doesn't even have a question for Jesus, but he's he has an a, a a request, but it's an imperative. It's a command. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, do something about this. Tell my brother that he needs to give me my rights, my portion. And here's the first thing that that Luke wants us to see about false treasure is that false treasure makes demands. If we're not careful, money will master us when the Lord wants us to master it. Money will demand that we lay down our lives for it and that we then demand others to lay down their life for us to get more treasure so that we get the inheritance divided with us and we get our portion. Money makes these kinds of demands on us. It demands our life. Whereas Jesus is a better treasure who laid down his life for us. And then it's a delight to give our lives to the one who laid down his life for us. And according to the scriptures, we will become just like what we worship. And so if we worship our money and our treasure, which is a demanding master, then we will become demanding people and go around expecting people to fit in with our expectations so that we'll get what, what we believe is ours. So false treasure makes demands. Second, false treasure rests on a lie. It rests on a lie. Here's Jesus's response after he says, you know, who made me a judge over you? In verse 15, he says, take care, watch out, be on your guard against all covetousness because your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. You see, this is the biggie. And I know many of you have heard this before, but you and I need to hear this again. We need to hear this often, over and over again, that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, okay? The more stuff you get does not make you a better person, does not make you a happier person, does not make you a more stable and secure person. 
And we need to hear this over and over again because the world around us is constantly telling us that our life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. Just think about the lies the world tells us. I will live the good life if only I can have fill in the blank. What do you fill in the blank with? It's usually something different every day for me. I will live the good life if only I can get that raise. I will live the good life if only I can get my promotion. I will live the good life if only interest rates go up. I will live the good life if only I can have a stable retirement package. I will live the good life if only I can get that next car, if only I can do whatever, the next device. This is a lie, and we need to understand that this is the lie of false treasure. It is based on a lie. The third thing Jesus teaches about false treasure is that it drives us inward. You see, in verses 16 through 19, Jesus tells this parable about the man who's got so much stuff that it's bursting, and he wants to tear down his barns and build bigger barns, which, you know, it it could seem prudent under certain circumstances to do that, to, uh, as the Lord says in Isaiah, to expand your tent pegs and prepare for the growth. But you see what his motivation is. He's speaking to his soul, verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and be happy. You see, this is what false treasure does, is is it drives us inward. It drives us to speak to, to our souls, to commune with our own souls so that we can lay up ample goods and relax and be happy and eat and drink. And this is, again, what the world does with its lie. The world wants you to listen to yourself, to follow your heart, to be true to yourself. And false treasure drives us inward. And so we need to be careful Because with the lies that the world whispers to us, that money promises to us, as we listen to those lies, we will be deceived by ourselves. That's the problem of being driven inward and looking inside. And this is why, uh, by way of application, one of the things that Aaron and I do is every two or three years or so, we we ask some close friends of ours to take a look at our budget. We actually, we just take our, our planned budget, we send it to these friends, and we ask them for feedback. And we do that because we know, we believe, that we are so easily deceived by ourselves. We can think we are doing good things. We think that we are not being greedy. We're not living for ourselves. And we need to get some some outside counsel. And money, financial planning and financial matters ought not to be off limits for the children of God. And so we send our budget to these friends and say, what do you guys think? Do you think we're drifting into greed? Are we being blinded by stuff? Are we spending too much on ourselves? Are we not thinking enough about the future? Are we not being generous enough? Uh, what do you think? And we, we get some counsel on it. And I would encourage you to do something like that, uh, that uh, to, to invite 
someone in whom you can trust, who can help you to identify whether you may have been deceived or have drifted into greed. Your elders are available to you, but it doesn't have to be your elders. It can be a trusted Christian friend, someone who can speak wisdom to help you to get an objective set of eyes on your financial situation and your planning. So that's number three about false treasures. It drives us inward. The fourth thing about false treasure is that it comes up empty. It comes up empty. In verses 20 and 21, uh, in the parable here, we see that this rich man had made a poor investment. False treasure never pays out. It might help for a short time here on earth, but the follower of Jesus must photograph life with a wider lens, looking not just to life here, but to eternity on the new heaven and the new earth. Because we see with this guy that that God comes to him and says, well, this night you're going to die. And then who's going to get all this stuff that you've stored up? So is it worth it to gain more stuff, but then lose your soul? Is it worth it? Uh, I, for this reason, I try to help teach and train my children in delayed gratification. One of the mantras in our house that, that we, we recite all the time is that we work hard and then we play hard. We work hard and then we play hard. We don't just go for the toys. We don't just live impulsively for now and do what's most pleasing to us right now. But we do what God wants us to do, and we do that hard, and we give it our focus. And then when we do that, then we celebrate before the Lord. He gives us real reason to celebrate. And so we, when it's time to play, we play hard. Now, this is a crucial principle when thinking about finances. Because living impulsively and buying impulsively is a really great way to wreck your life. And that what false treasure will do to you is in the end, you will come up empty. It feels really good in the moment, but it leaves you empty and foolish and destitute in the end. So false treasure, it makes demands, it rests on a lie, it drives us inward and it comes up empty. Jesus moves on to give us the antidote to this as he explains what true treasure is all about and how to think about it. So let's keep reading verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. 
for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me unpack four facts about true treasure from this section. Number one, true treasure is more than stuff. That is, it's, it's more than your possessions. It's more than what you can accumulate. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus gives two examples of things that caused anxiety for the ancients, the people at his time. He talks about uh, food. Don't be anxious about your life, that is, what you will eat. And don't be anxious about your body, that is, what you will put on. So he talks about food and he talks about clothing. And these cause them, those folks, great anxiety. And there are many people around the world today who do have this anxiety. And maybe some of you during this pandemic are having anxiety regarding food and clothing. But typically, I think for most of us in state college, in our church, uh, we're not often caused anxiety by those things. Now we have, I don't mean to minimize uh, eating disorders, which are real things. We do have real anxiety for such things, body image struggles. Uh, if, if that's a struggle for you, um, then w- we can talk about that. And the Lord has much grace and hope to offer. Um, but most of us, and, and, and even with such struggles, our anxiety is usually not caused by the fact that we're not sure if we will have any food tomorrow or if we will get any clothes tomorrow. And so we can substitute other things. What are the physical things? What is the stuff of life, the, the, the abundance of possessions that tends to cause us anxiety? And so we can substitute things like our career. Will I get a career after I go to graduate school in Philadelphia? Will I get to do forensic science somewhere? Will anybody hire me? Or maybe anxiety from our mortgage. Will I be able to pay it off? Will I make the next payment? Or college savings for our children? Or paying off college loans? Many of you are still paying those things off. Or maybe your car is on its last legs and you're not sure where the next one is going to come from. So there are all kinds of things here of tangible possession kind of things that can cause us anxiety. And in fact, this is a real challenge for me in preparing a sermon like this, because uh, typically um, Aaron takes care of the daily finances for our family, the the day-to-day stuff. And I tend to just check in on the budget every six months or so. So I'm not regularly thinking about money, but in preparing to teach on it, as it came up in this passage, um, I had to really focus on it and think about it and look back over our budget and be challenged and stimulated by, by the text. And doing that is a spiritual battle for me because it quickly provokes anxiety for me and, I, and, and it raises all these questions. Are we really saving enough for the future? Not just for ourselves, but how about for our kids, six kids, if they, if they all go to college or a a number of them go to college, that's going to be expensive. 
Uh, also, I, we, we do need to keep paying for clothes. My uh, I, shoes have a hole in them and, and my shirts keep getting holes ripped in the left elbow. This one's nice and intact for you today. I didn't wear a ripped shirt to church. I, I would never do that. Uh, our, our, our washer just, uh, it, it died. It had some real troubles a week or two ago. We had to replace that. Uh, we're still trying to make sure our, our basement is waterproofed. We're dealing with water runoff issues. We would love to finish our basement, get some more space, rebuild our deck. We've got all these different things going on and it can, it can cause me much anxiety. And are we saving enough for the future so that we won't be a burden to our kids in old age? And so as I come to this text, it is a critical reminder for me that life is more. Life is so much more. The life in Jesus is so much more than all of these things. And we need to remember that so that we can live accordingly, that Life is more than these things. Life is more than our stuff and all of these questions. Number two about true treasure is that true treasure receives its value from the Lord. It receives its value from the Lord. In verses 24 through 28, Jesus then, he, he addresses both of his case studies. So he brought up two anxieties, food and clothing, and he now gives two case studies. He talks about the, the birds that get food from God. And then he talks about the lilies and the grass that is, they are clothed by God more gloriously than Solomon. And so his two illustrations directly address the two causes of anxiety for people. But the point of what he's saying here is that these money matters, these issues are matters of faith. They are matters of belief. Do you see how he, he says, um, in verse 28, he calls them, O you of little faith. And then two times in, in 24 and 27, he says, consider. I want you to consider the birds. I want you to consider the lilies. And I want you to have faith. I want you to believe. Because there are, when we have little faith, then we fail to trust that God will feed us and clothe us. We fail to trust that God will take care of the future. God can take care of stuff. And you know, the funny thing is that this is not just about getting stuff from God. This isn't just about trusting God to give me a stronger retirement benefit. Because go back to the first point, life is more than stuff. The point here is trusting God to get your value from him and not from your stuff. Your value doesn't come from how much stuff you have. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And so looking at finances and talking about them, that enables us to constantly remind ourselves that my value is not contained here. My value comes from the Lord who values me even more than the birds and the flowers. You see, he takes care of the ravens and he takes care of the lilies, but how much more will he care for us who are his children? Okay, so, so true treasure receives its value from the Lord and not from the stuff because our life is so much more than stuff. Our life is found 
in what God thinks of us, in God's valuing of us as his children. Number three, true treasure is worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing. This is in verses 29 through 32, where Jesus now talks about what you seek. Do not seek what to eat and drink, and don't be worried. All the nations are seeking these things. But instead, what Jesus wants us to seek, you see it in verse 31. Let's get our priorities in order. Instead, seek his kingdom and all, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. You see, here is the cure of anxiety, the cure of worry. He says, do not be worried in verse 29. And the cure to worry is that when you seek what the father delights to give, you'll always get it. You'll never be lacking. If you seek the kingdom, God delights to give his kingdom, to grow his kingdom, to spread his kingdom. Then when you delight in that, he'll, he'll give it to you because he delights to give it. And so even our financial matters, as we talk about our budget and our spending and our saving and our giving and all of these things, as we talk about this, these matters are always about building a kingdom. The question is, whose kingdom are you building with your finances? Are you building your own kingdom because you've been driven inward by a false view of treasure? Or are you building the kingdom of God because you've been driven out to seek his kingdom and to use your money to, to serve him? And you see, here's what happens is a true view of treasure transforms us from seeing ourselves as owners to seeing ourselves as stewards. We're not owners, we are stewards. We see that all of this belongs to God. And so this is his money and he might give us more or he might give us less and we can be content with what he gives us, but we are stewarding it, we are managing it for his glory and for his kingdom. You see, verse 32 the cure to anxiety, fear not, because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, if you seek that which it is his good pleasure to give, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You will always have just as much as you need. It doesn't mean that you'll always have more stuff, but it means you'll always be content with what he has given you, whether that be much or little. So true treasure is worth pursuing. Seek the kingdom. That is your true treasure. But let me end with this fourth point from verses 33 and 34, is that true treasure, you need to be careful and you need to be forewarned because true treasure warrants drastic action. Look at what he says in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your stuff, give it to people who need it. True treasure warrants drastic action. And why does it do that? Why does a true view of treasure produce dramatic action? It's because the Lord and his kingdom have captured your heart. And that's how God grows his kingdom. He grows his kingdom by capturing the hearts of people. 
And when your heart has been captivated by the Lord and his kingdom, then you will want your heart to be with the Lord in heaven where he is. And so you will invest in heavenly treasure, in a heavenly bank account where you can't ever lose. The interest rates never go down. There is never a recession and there is never a lockdown during a pandemic to mess it up. Look at verse, again, at verse 33. After you sell your possessions, give to the poor. What are you doing when you do that? You are providing yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And verse 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So do you want your heart to be with the Lord in heaven? Then invest your treasure in his kingdom. If if someone were to look at your budget, would they see in your spending and your saving and your giving, would they see a priority on the kingdom of God? You see, false treasure drives us inward to listen to ourselves, but true treasure, it drives us outward. It drives us outward, and this is very countercultural. It drives us outward to those in need so that we can sell our stuff and give to the poor. It drives us upward from this planet to heaven. Where do you want your heart to be? Just put your treasure there. Now, I do want to say a, a, a brief word here that when Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, I do think that was a word to those people at that time. I don't think that that is a blanket command for everybody at all times. And we know this because Luke himself, later in the book of Acts, will talk about those believers who owned homes and who used their homes to and their property to host church gatherings and to use it for the kingdom of God. You see, the issue is not whether you, whether you have anything to your name, whether there are any possessions. The issue is whether... The, the kingdom of God has so invaded your heart, captivated your heart and invaded your mindset that your lifestyle has been radically transformed so that you are no longer an owner, but a steward. That's the issue that he's after. And in this, I'm not trying to justify any kind of greed or, or um, living for this world. What I'm trying to say is let's direct our hearts heavenward and let's have the priorities of heaven. So has Jesus's kingdom, and if so, how, has it changed your lifestyle with respect to your finances? You see, if you're just living your own life the way you want to live it, and you sort of offer some tokens here, and you know, I'll give a little bit to my church, but it doesn't really affect my lifestyle, or I'll, I'll help those in need, then it hasn't really captivated your heart. You see, this is a drastic change of lifestyle that Jesus is requesting here. So in conclusion, Jesus has made you his treasure and he has taken that treasure to the cross that drove him to the cross so that he could become your treasure. And because your heavenly father values you far more than he values even the birds and the lilies that have no lack does your use of money reflect the priority of Jesus, your king?
If someone were to look at your checkbook and your budget, would they see the priority of Jesus, your king, and his kingdom? Friends, why would you ever trust something that doesn't pay well? It doesn't pay out. It doesn't give you a return. Why would you trust that to give you happiness and satisfaction when it is the Lord and his kingdom that will add these things to you? There will be some opportunity in your small groups to get as specific as you would like to start talking about these things in greater detail to see how the kingdom of God can take root in our hearts uh, so that we might seek his kingdom above all things. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word that invades our thinking. It invades our perspective, our worldview. And Lord, please help us to view our money and possessions the way you view it. Help us to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards, as managers, those who have been entrusted with this property for a time for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. Help us to live with a view of your kingdom that our giving would not just be a token, but Lord, help us to give generously. I pray that 10% would be a bare minimum of the amount of giving that the people in our church are offering to your kingdom. Lord, please change us, move us to drastic action that we would invest in our children and in our church and in our community for the sake of your kingdom and help us to do many and mighty things. Help us to reject the lies of the world all around us. Help us to pursue that which alone is worth pursuing. And Lord, please, we we are trusting you and we are expecting you to be true to your promise that, that Lord Jesus, you have told us that it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We are banking everything on that. Lord Jesus, as we seek the kingdom, please do not fail us. Do not let us down, but plead with the Father. And Father, we ask that you would give us the kingdom. May we be people of your kingdom. May we encourage one another and grow together in this as we seek to disciple and shepherd one another. Please help us to be more open and transparent maybe than we've ever been in this area of life. And help us to take these matters seriously as we take drastic action to honor you. Please strengthen us and enable us to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.